Welcome to Hive Mind. I'm Meg. I'm here with Eli. Hey, Eli. Hello. Good afternoon. How are you? So happy to see you on Zoom today. <laughs> so we're on Zoom. I'm going on a trip tomorrow. I'm a little paranoid about getting sick. So we're doing Zoom today. Meg doesn't trust me. Whenever she needs to avoid getting sick, she's like, you're the last person I'm last going to. Last person. I am going to Target later today. So I know how uh, counterproductive <laughs> that is. Um, what have you been watching? Well, okay. We, Skylar and I watched The Holdovers over the weekend. This is the Paul Giamatti movie. Uh, I think it was maybe a Sundance film earlier this year. And now it's kind of an Oscar buzzy movie. Paul Giamatti is expected to get probably a, a Best Actor nomination. Um, and maybe this film will get some others. Uh, so this is a movie about... Um, it takes place in 1970 and it's about an all boys kind of pretentious all boys school where Paul Giamatti teaches. He's a very unpopular teacher. And um, some of the boys each year uh, end up not being able to go home for the holidays for Christmas. And so each year, one teacher is assigned to stay with them over the holiday break and like babysit them essentially at the, the school. And on this particular year, there is a boy who like his family is kind of sucks and they won't take him home. And so the story is about Paul Giamatti, this kid, and then uh, a cook, a woman um, who's a black woman who stays on campus as well to cook for them over the the two and a half weeks or whatever that they're there. And the story is about the relationship between these three people and how they kind of interact over the holidays. And it is such a good film. I really loved it. Um, it's really interesting. They made the choice to shoot this movie as if they're filming it like in 1970. So it's like the style of the filming itself is like it is sort of like a classic, like kind of 1970 style. Like watching it, I was like, I feel like I'm watching Kramer versus Kramer or The Graduate. It, like, what do you mean? Like color, everything, film like, quality, everything. So like the way the film starts, it. I don't know exactly how to describe this, but it's like long credits with just kind of like old, like 1970s, like kind of instrumental relaxing music showing like scenery around this boy's school. And um, like the, just like the camera angles and the shots, it just, if, if I did not know Paul Giamatti and there's one other actress in the film that I recognize and you just showed this to me and we're like, yeah, this is a movie from 1970. I'd be like, oh yeah, this looks like a, like a, an Oscar winning film from 1970. Like it just, mm. it doesn't feel like a film from night from 2023. And I'm, I think it makes the movie feel more nostalgic. Like I, I wasn't alive in 1970, but like watching it, I was like, I like want to be in, in 1970 with them. It was really interesting in that way. Um, the movie is like laugh out loud, funny in many ways. Uh, it's really sad in a lot of ways. The character development is incredible in it. The The dialogue is really witty and interesting and fun. Um, I like I think it's just over two hours. And when it ended, I was like sad that it was over. I was like, this could have been longer. Like, I really enjoyed sitting in it. Um, so I I pretty broadly recommend it. It is rated R for language. So be, be warned. But uh, otherwise, it's like it's a really lovely time. And Paul Giamatti is great in it and i i hope he does get an act an acting nomination i think he deserves it did he get a globe nomination this morning 
Oh, I don't oh, remember seeing his name on the list. I'm out this morning. I don't I know. This morning. Uh, morning show is nominated for best TV. So, well, of course, <laughs> Nugget is the best TV. Best what else TV. have you been watching? Um, are you caught up on the Gilded Age from last night? No, you know what? I think I'm. I think I've fallen off. What? I know. Why? I just like. After the mid-season wedding, I was like, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. Meg, actually a lot has happened since the wedding now. You've got to be joking me. No, I'm I'm not joking. Like, finally things are happening in this show. The uh, Last night ended on a cliffhanger that I was like, this is legitimately like, I've been waiting two seasons for something to happen and something finally happened. Like something, okay. Big, like big disruptive. Okay, spoil, spoil it. And if you okay. don't want spoilers, stop listening for a minute. Okay, two big, two big spoilers. Um, the the priest that she marries, the or the pastor that she marries, dies, dead. What? Yeah, he got cancer. You're you are behind. He got cancer, dies. It's very sad. Poor Cynthia Nixon. Yes, poor Cynthia Nixon. That sweet woman cannot catch a break. And then this um, Christine Baranski's son, Oscar, the gay one, yeah, um, he uh, ends up losing all of the family's money. How? So Christine Baranski is now going to be poor. Oh my gosh! And I okay, think fine. I'm back in. I'm back in. Yes, we're all back in, Meg. There's only one more episode <laughs> left of the season, and I'm like, I I have now watched I think three TV series where Christine Baranski loses all of her money, and it never gets old. <laughs> Because she was not meant to be poor. That is not like a poor woman. No. She was born and they're like, give this woman gold. The the good fight starts with her losing all of her money. And it like brings you right in because you're like, Christine Baranski loses all her money. I'm in. Show She'll me the never entire survive. You're like genuinely worried about her. <laughs> so it's pretty good. Pretty good. Okay. All right. Okay, fine. I'll, I'm back in. Okay. I We need to talk about this. I watched over the weekend the Meg Ryan film what happens yeah. later okay okay what happens later i have a million things to say about this movie meg i cannot stop thinking about it okay meg ryan makes you know she she is an icon in american rom-coms in the 80s and 90s then she kind of disappears and we've all wondered yeah. where is she ever since well so, she she did some stuff to her face and people were like what'd you do and then she showed up in that one random yeah. in the land of women movie in the early aughts and then she disappeared again yeah and and i've and i'm sad about that because we really yeah. liked meg ryan she was so yeah. charming so she makes this movie called what happens later and she she directed it uh and this this movie if you haven't seen previews uh it's a very it's a pretty simple film uh, there are only two people in it. It's Meg Ryan and David Duchovny. The entire thing takes place in an airport. And the essential plot of the film is the two of them end up getting stranded in this airport somewhere in the middle of America during a snowstorm. And they have to wait like 24 hours. They're just like constantly waiting for announce an announcement about whether their flight is finally going to take off. And the two of them had had a relationship back in college like 30 years ago and haven't seen each other since, but now they run into each other in the airport. So they spend 24 hours like basically catching up with each other and having like some conversations about like what they've been up to since that happened. Well, I go into this thing and I was willing it to be good because I was like, I want Meg Ryan to have a good film. Like I want a good rom-com out of Meg Ryan again. And I start watching it and like it's it loses me 
pretty quickly for a lot of reasons and some really, really odd choices. For example, um, the only other person in the film besides the two of them who actually has like a line of dialogue at all is the announcer over the intercom in the airport who is like constantly like giving them updates. But the announcer is making announcements directly at Meg Ryan and David Duchovny and uh -huh. and responding to them in this like really cheesy way. So it'll be like, passenger Meg Ryan, please go to your gate. And she'll be like, already? And he'll be like, yes, already. And it's so stupid. Yeah. And so we were like cringing through it. I, I will say... Meg Ryan and David Duchovny are really good in it. Like the acting is actually really good. They have really interesting chemistry together. Um, they're they interact and like kind of argue and bicker with each other in this way that feels very much like this is you've got male kind of like bickering, like talking over each other and like witty comebacks and like responding. Did Meg Ryan write it? Uh, I think she wrote it as well, or at least is credited as one of the writers. The film is dedicated to Nora Ephron. Oh. Um. Anyway, so it ended and I was like, that kind of sucked and it was really cheesy. And what the hell? Like, this is a film made by somebody who's clearly never been in an airport because like you don't even see other people in the airport. It's just the two of them. It was so weird. And then I got went to bed and I could not stop thinking about this film. And I realized when I got up in the morning, I this film has been mismarketed. And it actually, I think, is a decent film. This is not a rom-com. And I went in watching it thinking like, this is like a rom-com, like you've got mail. And and then it was just like, I don't care about whether these people get together. And also like, why is the intercom person in the airport talking directly to them and respond? Like all of it was so weird. And I thought about it. I was like, if this was marketed instead as like a surrealist um, postmodern post film about two people essentially in like a purgatory um unpacking the trauma of their lives and what it feels like to be in their 60s now it's actually a pretty interesting film because the the two of them like walk around the airport and sit together and just have these long conversations about like horrible things that have happened to them in the last 30 years and and things that they they went through together that were like really traumatic and that that still affect them to to this day and they have some like pretty deep and interesting conversations about that and like how lost they feel now that they're in their 60s and they feel like the world is passing by them. And and then, spoiler alert, in the end, their flights finally leave. And so they go get on their planes and take off. And it's just sort of like we got together in this like weird liminal space that I don't think you're supposed to take literally. We we talked about like how hard it is to like go through life and then get older and look back and be like, what was I supposed to get from that? And then they're like, thanks for processing that with me. And then they, they take off and leave. And and if that is how you go in viewing this movie, I actually think it's a pretty good film. Um, it's what are the chances anyone's going to go in viewing the movie that way, though? Well, I so I ended up look because I I got curious and I went looking for reviews on this, and the reviews are polarized, and like half of them, it it has fifty two percent on Rotten Tomatoes, so it's like in the middle. Half of the okay. reviews are like, "This is the most boring rom com I've ever seen." And why is the why is the intercom talking to them? And the other half are like, this is one of the most profound explorations of grief I've ever seen. And I'm grief, like, oh, really? Truly. And it, it truly is. And spoiler alert, she you you learn later in the movie that the two of them had like a late term miscarriage together that she's never like gotten over the trauma of. And she breaks down like sobbing, talking about like 
that experience and how it has impacted the rest of her life. And it's like pretty heavy. And so like a lot of the reviews are like, yeah, like this is this is like a breath of fresh air to hear like two characters like in their 60s just being like, by the time you get to be this age, you've been through some hard things and this is what it feels like. And I'm like, and honestly, the whole movie feels like a play. And I and if I went to a play and this and it was just this script, I would have left the play, you know, without any other knowledge about it. I would have left the play and been like, that was really thoughtful and interesting and it's going to stay with me for a while. Yeah, as you were talking about it, it sounds like a play. It almost sounds like it'd be more successful on a stage, especially if it's one location and only two characters plus a narration. Yeah, yeah, and, and mm. that's what that's exactly what it feels like. And so, I don't know. I think I'd recommend it. Like, I think people should watch it, but watch it with that frame of mind. It is slow. Like, don't expect like a fun frothy film. Um, there is some humor in it, but like by and large, it's kind of heavy. But I will say, and I'm really glad to say this, I think Meg Ryan is good in it. Like, I think her acting is actually really good still. she You see a lot of that old charm that we loved. Her, I am so sorry to say it, her face does look weird. Yeah. And you you kind of have to like, oh, like that's what you look like now. And it looks like botched surgeries. I don't know. Um, but David Duchovny is really good in it too. And that man has aged like a fine wine. He they is, don't have to do stuff to their face. He is smoking. I know it's not fair, Meg. It's not fair, but he is smoking. Um, okay. So I don't know. I, I think people please watch it. And if any of you have seen it and you have opinions about it, will you please let me know? Because I'm kind of dying to talk to people about this film now. And I don't know anybody who has seen it. Yeah, I don't think it's doing great. Where did you watch it? Uh, we rented it like on Amazon, I think. Amazon okay, Prime. I think it was in the movie theater for like two minutes. Mm -hmm. I think what I recommended to you, Meg, and I probably would recommend this to a lot of people unless like you, you're really compelled to see it. Watch it on a plane sometime. It'll be available on a plane. It'll be a good two hour film for you on an, on an airplane. Great. I love it. What have you been watching? Um, okay. I've got a list here. I'm trying to decide the order. Okay. I'm going to start with, we're going to do it chronologically. I went and saw the Beyonce concert, the movie of the Renaissance tour. And it's one of the best movies I've seen all year. Really? It is, I cried at multiple points. Um, Beyonce is, I think the hardest working woman possibly in the world, definitely in the music industry. Um, I think she's a creative genius. The movie, uh, people are comparing it to the Taylor Swift movie, Fairly or unfairly, I think it's because it's two concert movies that are out right now. The Taylor Swift one is like, here's here's video of the concert. This is what it is. You're just seeing the concert. The Beyonce Renaissance movie is footage from the shows as well as a lot of behind the scenes, Beyonce's personal history, the people who are close to her, why she made the decisions she did about this tour what it's like being a wife and a mother and beyonce at the same time in a way that's really moving um and i you know this because i bring it up a lot as i'm barreling toward 40 i have a lot of like existential dread i'm like what does it mean to be 40 and a creative like who who am i what is my career mm -hmm. hearing beyonce talk about being 42 
and how much she's loving it has completely changed my perspective. Oh. She talks about how as soon as she turned 40, she no longer cared what other people think of her and she's just having a great time. And she said, your 40s are your best decade. And it was truly so inspirational to hear Beyonce say that. I love the concert. Don't take your kids. You will get a minor headache watching it because it's a lot of like moving lights and bright and, but it's so fun. It is so fun. So if you have the chance, pay 20 bucks and go see the Beyonce tour, the movie, Beyonce that, Renaissance tour, the movie. That's really interesting. I just like recently finally had a panic about being a creative at 40 because I turned 40 in six months mm -hmm. and I, it's never like, never bothered me on any level because I'm just like, whatever, it's just the next age. And then so, like, it was like yesterday or two days ago, I suddenly was like, well, like, w shouldn't I have like had more success by now as a creative person yeah, that's before the, I hit 40? Like, every and I, morning when I wake up, that's like the thought I have. <laughs> I started freaking out, Meg. And I was like, why? It, it doesn't matter that what age I am. But it, but it feels like it does. It feels, it really feels like it does. Mm, and like even it. though Beyonce was, who has had untold success, like the, maybe the most successful person in the history of the world, it's easy for her to be like, 40's great. I believed her. I was like, yeah, you know what? That does sound nice. Maybe my best years are ahead. I, there, it, those are, it's always a double-edged sword when highly like successful celebrities are saying things like that because on the one hand it is inspirational and like okay yeah like i can have more of that perspective but then on the other hand it's like but well, that's easy for you to i listened to this um podcast recently it was a conversation between two writers uh like journalists basically who are like highly successful like famous you know whatever and both of them were like, if you are a creative person and you are still on Twitter, what are you doing? You need to get off Twitter. And mm. they were like, shit, like because of Elon Musk, they were just like, you need to stop supporting it. Um, there's no excuse to be on there anymore. We got off. So why can't you? And I'm and I'm listening to them and I'm like, yeah, they're they're probably right. But then I'm like, but that's so easy for them to say, because like I Twitter is a really useful tool for me that they don't need. Because they're like, they have a column in the New York Times, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like they have mm -hmm. these massive platforms. And I'm like, that's really easy for for people at that level to kind of lecture everybody else that like, you know, you don't need to be doing this or you don't need to be doing that. And it's like, no, you don't need to be doing this. But like some of us are just trying to like use whatever tools we can. So I don't know. I not to like downplay what you just said, but like this is what has been running through my mind lately. <laughs> I'm with you. It's take everything a famous person says with a grain of salt but choose mm -hmm. to be inspired when you can because we yeah. all need inspiration yeah agreed may december is a movie on netflix right now starring julia moore and natalie portman have you seen it not yet we're we're gonna watch it this week i'm really excited okay i almost don't want to tell you about it because i went into this blind and i'm so glad i did all I'll say is that I was thinking this was going to be another Carol based on the marketing and all the posters, and it was not <laughs> another Carol. I also was not expecting a dark comedy, and it is very much a dark comedy. Um, 
maybe the least I don't it, it's very funny but like the subject matter is not funny at all mm -hmm. we'll talk after you watch it because I don't want to ruin it for you okay. but I'm looking forward to hearing your response um yeah. we have been watching Fargo the TV series which is on FX what, how many seasons are there now they're on their fifth season right now so we started uh with season one we plowed through season one we've now started season two which is famously where kirsten dunce and jesse plemons met um because they play a married couple in season two huh. it is a really really good show and it is really really violent like if you have any intolerance toward violence fargo is not going to be the show for you if you can handle it, it's one of the best shows I've seen in a really long time. Billy is Bob it? Thornton plays the villain in season one, and he is so terrifying and so good. And everyone in it is so great. It's delightful and horrifying. Does it have relation to the film Fargo? Yeah. So they, you know, you've seen Fargo, the film, yeah. right? So Fargo is like the center of crime in this series. Every like major crime happens in Fargo. And it's about the people in Minnesota who are dealing with these crimes. So they all have like heavy Midwestern accents, very nice to each other, very cheery, um, juxtaposed with like the most insane, horrific violence you've witnessed, um, which is very much like the movie, the Coen Brothers movie. The Coen Brothers did not sign off on this series. They tried to get them to, but they were like, we don't want anything to do with this. I think because they thought it might be crap, um, but it's actually really good. Mm. Um, I still don't think they have any association with it, but the series is roughly based off of the movie. Okay. So I, I think the movie is incredible. I yeah. love it, but the violence was really hard for me. Is it, is the violence worse in the series or? I have not seen the movie in a long time, but there are, there are things worse than the wood chipper. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if I can do it. Yeah, if you if you can't do violence, you probably can't do Fargo, but it is a really well acted, really well produced series. Um Home Alone, we watched yesterday. Fun. Every every year I spiral more about Home Alone. Because of the age of the mother? No, I mean, <laughs> yes, but also their wealth. Yeah. <laughs> I remember seeing it as a kid and being like, oh, they're flying to Paris. A thing normal families do. Sure. And then I realized they're flying first class to Paris. And then yesterday on our rewatch, she asks the blonde woman at the Paris airport if they can charter a private plane to get back to America to get Kevin. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Who are these people? <laughs> they this would be these would be like some of the richest people in America, right? Right. Yes. Who are the McAllisters? What did he do? Or she. Maybe, I don't know, but there's a theory out there that he worked at McKinsey and he was like one of the first to open the McKinsey office in Chicago, which really kills me okay. um, because it's like pretty accurate and would line up with the time frame. Uh -huh. I wish there was just a line like, man, we had a great year at the law firm or something or like, man, I'm so <laughs> glad I invented Ziploc, you know, like something that would explain <laughs> this immense wealth because I am thrown every single time and it gets worse every year. I'm like. How? Yeah. yeah, I want their house. I mean, obviously, I would gut it and re. I mean, the red and green is a lot. It's a lot. And the tile on the counter, I'm like, whose idea was that? You want chicken juice in the grout? Even like, it, 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 I, even as a kid watching it, like the house feels dusty to me. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. it's a it's heavy 90s aesthetic. Like yeah. we were making some weird design choices in the 90s. But yeah, I would live there in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the house facade is beautiful. And still, I've watched this movie once a year for a lot of years, and I cannot tell you which children are siblings and which are cousins. No idea. To but, save but my life. Buzz and Kevin, we know yeah. those two. Lazy Competent, I think, is a sister, not a cousin, but I, yeah. I don't know about the rest of them. No idea. My no kids idea. love it, though, so that was fun. That is fun. Uh, I think that's it. That's all the stuff. And then we saw Napoleon. Tell me what you thought. Uh, speaking of violent yeah i i think the violent i think it starts out very violent and then it felt less violent to me tell me what you think about you, that you had told me that and so i think i was especially like paying attention uh and i disagree i think it okay. is i think the violence is pretty consistent throughout i mean it basically the the penultimate scene of the film is a very violent battle um but i think it's just so jarring because it the first scene of the film spoiler alert is marie antoinette's beheading and it's pretty upsetting like yeah there's no cutting away there's no cutting away and um i don't know i the the beheading of marie antoinette like upsets me generally like i anytime i hear any facts about her or that beheading it just like it feels like so awful to me french history is brutal it is brutal. Um, did you know that Ridley Scott has a four-hour version of this film he's going to release on streaming? I heard it was seven hours. <laughs> what? <laughs> Listen, here, here's what I'll say. Um, I, I liked this movie. Uh, yeah. I, I liked it quite a lot, actually, and I was not expecting that necessarily. And part of it is I really didn't know and, I, and you know, don't know very much about Napoleon. Like I have kind of like a hole in my historical knowledge about like Napoleon Bonaparte. And so, um, you know, I, I feel like I, we hear a lot about the French revolution. Um, and then, and then Napoleon comes, you know, at the heel of that and, and post revolution. And I just like, don't know anything about that era of like European history, which is like, it's kind of the first world war, like, it, you know, a hundred yeah. years before world war one. And, and um, not knowing anything about that, I feel like I, I feel like kind of bad that I don't know information about that. And this movie is very good. And we can get into like historical inaccuracies because there are some. But this movie is very good at just being like, do you want to know kind of basically what Napoleon did? Here's three hours of like from the time, you know, the revolution happens until he dies. This is like basically the highlights of what he was up to and the impact that he had on Europe. And I like walked out of the movie and I was like, I, I feel like I can now kind of place Napoleon in history in a way that like I could not before this film. And I appreciate it for that reason. Yeah, I agree. What I would say is that I wish it was more of that. I wish I wish the movie would have held my hand just a little bit more um, because like you, I had a, like a vague idea of who Napoleon was and what he did, but not really like couldn't really tell you what time frame and why he mattered. I was frustrated that more than half of this movie is spent on his relationship with Vanessa Kirby when the battles were that much more compelling. Like when I think of Napoleon, I don't think, man, I wonder what his love life was like. I think like, how come this guy loved war so much? 
And I feel like the battle scenes showed us that pretty well. The love scenes, the romantic scenes made him look like a bumbling idiot. The review of this movie that has made me laugh the most is Michael Scott takes over Europe, which is very <laughs> much how it felt. Yeah. Like it portrays Napoleon as an absolute doofus when it came to his personal life and like the most competent guy when it came to the battlefield. And I had a hard time balancing those two or reconciling the two. And maybe that's how it actually was. But from what I've heard, it's not. Yeah, that that's a fair criticism. I, I disagree with you a little bit. I was not bored with the Josephine Napoleon story. I actually found it pretty interesting. Like, it, I think it's interesting that he, you know, per this movie, they were truly in love and essentially were forced to divorce because she couldn't give him a son and they still continued to be in love and close, you know, like, I, I think that's kind of an interesting part of the story. And so I, I was not bored through that, but I, I mean, the big criticism of this movie and, you know, some of the reviews that I've read are how historically accurate is it and how accurate of a portrayal of, a, of him as a person are they? And if it's not, that's kind of a missed opportunity to like maybe tell a more real story. Um, but I wasn't bored watching that. I actually don't I, think I was bored at any point in this movie. By the time it ended, I was like, yeah, it's time to end this movie. It's a long movie. It's a uh, two hours, 48 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, so it's another like you're in your chair for three hours and it's a lot of watching horses die, which was more upsetting oh. to me than watching the, soldiers atop the horses die like that was tough i, I went home and hugged my dogs yeah <laughs> i did think the battles were so interesting um mm -hmm. and it was so effective in helping me who is not at all war-minded like when i used to play age of empires i would spend the whole time collecting berries um, do you remember that computer game where it's like you're supposed to go to war with other countries and you have like workers who gather resources and i spent yeah. all my time gathering resources <laughs> and none on fighting because it's just like not interesting to me yeah, yeah but it was like oh that's what a cavalry is and yeah. that's what an infantry is and that's why you place them where they do and that's what flanks mean like it was a super educational movie in that way and helping me understand the strategy of war mm -hmm. um and so i appreciated that yeah I guess the movie ended and I was like, I honestly don't know if I liked or disliked that movie. It was just kind of a movie that I like experienced and then felt pretty neutral about coming out of it. I think because the pluses and the minuses came out pretty even. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm glad I saw it. I won't mm -hmm. see it again. Yeah. Do you think Joaquin Phoenix is good at it? Yeah, I do. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. I also uh, think Vanessa Kirby is good. I just kind of think maybe it should have been a different movie. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I I would say if you can handle violence and you have any interest in the history, I would recommend this. Like I think it I I, I enjoyed it. I'll probably never watch it again. Um I would I, once I heard that he had like a longer version that he wants to release streaming. This was one of those movies that I was like, ah, they should have just made a mini series because like I yeah. would I would have watched like a five part mini series on Napoleon. I think that could have been, you know, one hour a piece. I think that could have been really fun. It is 
pretty fun to see on the big screen though. Like a lot of those battle scenes I think are more effective on the big screen. Yeah. I don't know how much you'd lose by streaming it at home. Um, I did a lot of Googling afterward to try and figure out what was real and what wasn't real. Um, I know French people are pretty upset by it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which fair, you know, what what, if we had a George Washington biopic that they made? (laughs) We probably wouldn't like it. I would be curious to see what that would look like. Uh, and yeah, like a lot of the criticism from French people is it's very pro English and, my my gut reaction to that was like I don't really see that, but then I got thinking about it, and like the entire ending is basically the English coming in and being like, "Okay, let's put these savages to sleep," you know, like it it's just very like oh, <laughs> the French, what a mess. And like I, I get it. I'm like, yeah, I, I guess like that is the perspective of this film. Is that still a thing? Do the French and English still have beef? I I don't know. I hope so. I've, I'm neither um, French nor English. The other thing that killed me was the accents because everyone in this movie has a British accent except for Napoleon, who is inexplicably American. <laughs> it is. Why? Yeah, it's it's very um, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Remember, is it Kevin Costner who plays Robin Hood? And I like, have not seen that movie in so long. I, everyone in that movie has a British accent except for him. And it's <laughs> jarring. And I, I heard it's because like, he tried and they were like, you know what? Just don't like it yeah. doesn't work. And so everybody's like doing this like really strong British accent. And then he walks in. And he's like, made Marion. <laughs> like so weird. <laughs> uh, same with Sean Connery in uh, Hunt for Red October. They tried to have him do a Russian accent and he was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, not going to happen. And it's fine. I'm just like, why not make the whole cast American? You're, you know. But whatever. Or or this should have just been a French film. Yeah. Um, no one would probably see it then, let's be honest. Um, I recommend this movie to anyone who can tolerate violence and has a curiosity about Napoleon and or French history. Because I honestly did learn a lot how much of it is true. Not totally sure. They have a very cool ice battle in this movie that turns out never happened. Um, yeah. yeah, but it's a very cool scene. It's a very cool scene. I think you'll get the general idea of Napoleon and his legacy from this. So um, we said we were going to cover Christmas movies this month and we have not so far, but maybe we'll do one next week before Christmas. We'll keep you posted. Are we going to do the Santa Claus? Sure. Let's do the Santa Claus next week. Let's do the Santa Claus. Let's do it. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you later. Bye.